Hey, well, that was great. I, I think that was great. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and being part of what we're doing here at GPC. Welcome to the world's worst titled sermon series ever, Old and Slow, part two of four. Is there a worse series out there in the world that has ever been conceived by mankind? I don't know. This is part two of four, so if you don't like the series title, don't worry, it won't last too long, and it will go quickly. Okay, believe it or not. But here's why we're on Old and Slow, in case you weren't here last week and this is your first time with us and you wonder, what is going on around here? What is this about? We are in this Advent series and we are recognizing and trying to recognize the value of what is old and the value of what is slow. And in our Advent series, we are intentionally putting ourselves back in history and saying there have been passages of scripture that Christians for centuries and centuries and centuries have reflected upon at this time of year, and it would behoove us, there's an old word for you, right? You should use that sometime this week. It would behoove us to step back and remind ourselves that our generation is not the only generation that that expresses Christianity the way we do, that we come on the heels of people who have gone before us, well before us. And so we're stepping back to the value of the ancient and the value of what is old. And we're also talking about the value of what is slow. Slow. We tend to overestimate what we can get done quickly and underestimate what gets done in a long period of time. There are certain things that can only be developed slowly that are valuable. Like we talked last week, turkey dinner is one of those. You're not going to nuke the bird for a Thanksgiving meal, or else it's not just not going to work. It's developed slowly. Last week we talked about anticipation. This week, and maybe more than any other um, Advent theme that we're going to talk about this week, is going to take some time to develop in our lives. And the best way, perhaps, to introduce this is to bring some of the smartest people in the world to the screen in front of you, and that is to bring children to bear. So I'm going to play this clip. We're going to learn from these kids about what it means to work on some things that are going to take some time. Here we go. Why is it hard to be patient? Because you want to do fun things, and then you have to do something bad, a snap from, like take out the garbage, like I usually have to. Some things are so excited they can't really wait for them very long. I can only wait like two minutes for something to happen. Then I'm just, after that, I'm just so impatient that I can't stand it any longer. I don't necessarily like being patient, but when I know I have to, I do. If you weren't patient, then like, you would just say, I want it done right now. No, Mom. I want dinner right now or else. So it would kind of turn into a bossy world. It would kind of turn into a bossy world, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, it would. Very, very wise. Uh, dealing with patience. Is there anything that takes more time to develop? Patience. Can't hurry it along. But we all want it, right? Now, let me ask you this. What, what question what, what question have you uh, either experienced as a parent or you as a child asked your parents when you're driving on a road trip somewhere far away from the back seat? Besides, where's the bathroom? What's the question? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? 
Isn't that funny? I didn't prompt any of you to say that, and yet in unison, it was almost like we were doing some kind of responsive reading or something like that from the back. I mean, we just all know that's the question. Sometimes you phrase it, how much longer? Sometimes you phrase it, are we there yet? Right? Isn't this the universal question that children are required to ask as a right of growing up within the backseat of a car, right? Hey, are we there yet? Or how much longer? In other words, there's a distance and a gap between where I am and where I want to be. And in that zone, if you mom and dad can shorten that for me, that would be great, because if I have to wait a long time, then I have to be patient, and I am not wanting to be patient. And so, how much longer? And that question is a question we ask as we keep growing up in every phase of our lives. How much longer until school is over? How much longer do I have to work with this kind of boss? How much longer do I have to be in this kind of relationship? How much longer do I need to be single? Are we there yet? The gap between what is and what could be is there, and in that gap and in that space between what is and what should be or could be, I've got to figure out how do I learn to wait in the middle of it. We all want to be patient people, but (laughs) the work it takes to get there is another issue. I want to begin by talking about what is patience. I want to define this at the beginning, and then I want to go to the scriptures and look at something that I think is going to be very, very helpful for us. So let me define it this way. Patience, as I'm talking about this morning, is the ability to endure difficulty without complaint. How much longer? Are we there yet? How much longer? Hey, stop asking the question. The ability to endure the road trip without complaint. Now, let me talk about this definition for a minute because this has a lot of nuances to it, understanding patience. Number one, it has to do with this idea of enduring difficulty. I don't know if you can see that word color change there, but patience is not just about waiting, but it's waiting through difficulty. So, for example, uh, how many of you have ever been to a doctor's appointment and have had to wait in a waiting room? All right. Now, let's just say that some doctor's office decided to get this idea that while you are waiting, we will detail your car for you, and we will also provide like a a butler for you, okay, to get whatever food or drink that you might want while you're waiting. And if you have to wait more than five minutes, we're going to cover the copay and any other expenses that come along. All right? Now, you might wait for half an hour, but you don't have to be patient. (laughs) You're just waiting. But if you're in the same doctor's office and you have Barney playing on the TV over there, as loud as it could possibly be, you have to endure difficulty. There's a difference. Just because it takes time doesn't necessarily mean you have to be patient until things get hard. If once things get hard and the gap between what is and what could be is real, that's when we have to exercise patience. There's a difference between that. So it's enduring difficulty in difficult times. It is about um, dealing with um, suffering, dealing with um, some kinds of adversity, uh, dealing sometimes with boredom in our lives, things of that nature. Let me tell you this, suffering is not passivity. I'm going to say that again at the end, but let me just clear that up at the beginning. In other words, if there's anything that is dishonoring to God, hurting other people, or destroying your own life, something that's self-destructive behavior that we do, it is not wise, right, or prudent to sit back and be, quote-unquote, patient. 
There's a difference between patience and indifference. There's a difference between patience and cowardice. There's a difference between patience and passivity. This is not what I'm talking about. This is not that category. Things that are dishonoring to God, things that are hurting other people or destroying your own life. The, the first thing is not, let me just sit back and wait. I don't know, someone will probably do something about that. I will learn to be patient. No, I'm not talking about that. Patience is enduring difficulty of a suffering type, of a boredom type, without complaint. Okay. Now, let's look at that last thing, without complaint. Patience is the ability to endure difficulty without complaining, but before I, we make it sound super spiritual as if we can all learn not to complain about very difficult things, I don't know anyone who can do this perfectly. And I will also say this, there's a difference in quality of complaining. Let me take my own childhood, for example. Um, I would often complain about chores that I had to do. Is there anyone with me? Nobody with me. All right, thank you for leaving me out there alone. All right, thank you. I see that hand back there. There we go. Yeah, yeah you and your brother, I know, and your dad does that too sometimes, Claire, I know that. Okay. Anyway, I would often complain. I just would. I would often complain about, man, why do I have to, and the world is against me, and why do I have to, you know, wash the dishes and dry them? Like, Mom, they're going to dry by themselves in the air, right? Like, why would I need to take the towel just give it 30 minutes and everything is done. I mean, it just was more efficient that way. So I'm complaining, okay, about the chores that I have to do. Enduring difficulty with complaining. That's what I was doing. Now, there's a difference between that kind of complaining and the times when I was very sick as a child. When I would get the flu, let's say, and I'm on the, the couch for two, two, three days, whatever it is, and, and I'm, I'm wrecked, and I'm worn out, and I might start tearing up out of just pain and discouragement and disillusionment. Feeling like, oh, I'm just kind of crying out without knowing it's the complaint, but just kind of crying out, Mom, is it ever going to go away? Like, I'm never going to get better. Oh, you know. And what I'm doing in that moment is I'm needing to express that inner Mm, that inner thing that's just worn out and exhausted and at the end of my rope and feeling like I don't know what is going to happen. That kind of complaining is modeled biblically. It's called lament. It's in the Psalms. It's a complaint that kind of closes the loop to trusting God more. When you do that as a child, you're essentially saying, listen, I need help. I'm at a point where I'm just, words are kind of failing me, and I'm just so overwhelmed. And I, if I just were to keep this in and not express this, I wouldn't be doing a service to my faith or to my God, or even in this case to my, to my family, to my parents, for them to know how to serve me. There's a difference between complaining for self-serving reasons, like I have to do the dishes, and here's the complaining, that driver is too slow in front of me, let me complain about that. That boss isn't giving me what I need, let me complain about that. My family is messing around with my life, let me complain about that. There's a difference between that kind of complaining and a complaint that says, man, God, I don't know what to do. I am just at the end. Physically, I'm sick, I have been sick for a while, I'm dealing with something that I didn't expect. God, I don't want to give up hope, but I am so worn out. Why does it feel like in these moments you are far from me, God? And it's in the expression of that complaint that we actually close the loop to trust him again. That complaint is appropriate. Okay? That complaint is biblical. So when I talk about patience as enduring difficulty without complaint, hear me well, that there are times when we should lament and times that that is a proper processing of emotion to communicate with God. What I'm talking about this morning is the complaint of doing the dishes, of the slow driver in front of you, of a self-centered kind of complaining, just 
the gap between what is and what should be, that all the, the only way we can get through it is to complain about it. Patience is the ability to endure difficulty without complaint. Now, let me say this also about complaining. Um, complaining can be seen as uh, this up here on the screen, a bit of a muscle. Took a picture of my right arm and put it up here this morning. Wasn't that funny? Come on now. Seriously, guys? All right. So complaining, uh, excuse me, patience is like a muscle. Um, The people who have the strongest muscles exercise them the most. So watch this on the screen for a minute. This is a big moment. You ready? Are you ready? I didn't hear any any kind of... Okay, here here we go. Look at this. Ooh. Let me do that again. Ready? Uh Uh-huh. You see that? Isn't that great? That was a big moment. Okay. Those who exercise the muscles make it stronger. So here, let me play this out. Those who are in traffic, all right, and are constantly complaining about the person in front of them or the speed limit or whatever it is, if they choose to exercise patience in that moment, they will be ready to deal with the time when they get in a traffic accident and they are laid up for two, three, four days or a week. They can't go to work. They can't do the things that they prefer to do. Where do you develop the endurance to handle that? It's in the little stuff of saying, okay, today I'm not going to complain about that. The people who learn to handle the discomfort and the difficulty of the smaller sicknesses and setbacks that they have are the ones who are able to, as they choose to exercise that, deal with the bigger physical hang-ups, the bigger physical problems that come with life. Patience is like a muscle, and the more you choose to exercise it in the small things, the more ready you are for the big things to come. It's just, it's just the way it works. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, you're listening to this, if you're a Christian, there's something more for you, and something deeper even than this, something that goes below the surface and that meets the need of any Christian that I have ever talked to. Any Christian that I've ever talked to wants to know many things, but all of them want to know this one thing. And believe it or not, choosing patience will lead you to what I believe you already want for your life anyway. And it is a really interesting and maybe unexpected twist in how we see patience. And so this morning I'm excited to take you to a passage of Scripture in the book of Romans to look at patience and its lead-in and the path that patience will take you on to get you as a Christian to the very thing that you want for your life anyway. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you don't claim to follow Christ with your life, number one, we hope that at some point you do that. I'm just going to lay my cards on the table. That's our hope here at GPC. We think that, that Jesus is the hope of the world. Right, that's just kind of where we're at. We'd love for you to get to know him. But even if you are not there yet and you're processing, that is fine with us. We're glad to have you here or listening online with us. And you can listen to this and hopefully learn something along the way, but we're glad to have you here. So the book of Romans is in the New Testament. Uh, Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to end up. The New Testament is in the right third of your Bible, and if you don't own a Bible, there's one in the pew right there around you. Uh, That's our gift to you, by the way, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that and and have that. Merry Christmas to you, all right? Romans chapter 8. Paul is writing this, and we're going to pick him up there in verse... 18 of Romans chapter 8. Okay, here we go. I consider, he writes, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We're going to pause it there. 
he's beginning by setting up a global perspective on suffering. In other words, he's saying that in light of the future, in light of what is to come, the things that we're dealing with in the present are not going to be worth comparing to the glory of what is to come. In other words, in 10,000 years, is it going to matter that you did not get that green light? Yeah, but today it does. I, really, I would have been 15 seconds faster, would have gotten my thing on time if I would have got... In 10,000 years, is it going to matter if Christmas dinner is not at your house and it's at someone else's house? Is that going to matter in 10,000 years? In 10,000 years, is it going to matter if you get what you're hoping for or you give what you're hoping for? In 10,000 years, is it going to matter the thing that you're dealing with now? Now, that is not a good way to counsel somebody. Just a heads up on that, all right? Someone comes to you and they're struggling with something, just say, well, listen, in 10,000 years, are you going to care that you got dumped? Deal with it. Okay, not a, not a good, heartfelt way to, to, to focus. But if you can draw out from that and just at a, a theoretical level say, yeah, I, I get it, I understand the concept. In light of what is to come, and Paul's just laying it out at the beginning, listen, in light of what is to come, the glory that is to be revealed, the present sufferings don't compare. And so keep, Christian, keep... The big picture in mind for all the little things that you're dealing with, all the present sufferings that you're dealing with, no matter the scope or the depth of them, keep in mind the future and the glory that will be revealed. All right. Now, he continues, and, he, and here's what he says next. He gives the model of creation. He says, look around you at the world. He says, look, the creation waits an eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That's kind of confusing. What we think that means is that there will become a time in the future when the world as we know, when creation, that which God created, will essentially be populated by Christians. Okay, we're talking about new heaven, new earth. That in the future times, there will be that time when earth will kind of settle down and Christians will have their future, their future kingdom be revealed. Okay, that's what we believe the sons of God to be revealed means. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What is he saying? Okay, here, here, here's the deal. He's saying, listen, look around you for a minute. Look at the natural disasters that happen in the world. It's as if the earth is groaning for something more that has yet to come. In other words, okay, tsunamis, what if God doesn't desire the future kingdom of God to be like that? Like, what if... As you think about forest fires, you think about volcanoes that erupt, you think about hurricanes that wreck and tornadoes that come through. These natural disasters and the, the kind of groanings of the earth and the ecosystem in which we function, that which is kind of, oh, just seems at odds and angry with, with the ecosystem in the world, those things are kind of the groanings. It's as, if, it's as if the world that God has created is kind of groaning for a future that is yet to come. And Paul is using this imagery to say, let me help you understand this so you can understand your life. Look around you at creation. There will be a future when that will no longer be present. The suffering, the difficulty, the struggle of the world itself is a testimony that this is not going to be all that there ever will be. And so he takes creation to say, listen, look at creation and how we struggle with that. Now let me take it down to you personally. And that's where he moves in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, is in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
Now, pause it there. Not only so, again, verse 23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt kind of that groaning for more? Now, it could be said that as we age, we tend to groan more. You, know, you might find that out if you're younger and you're, you're getting older. Maybe you look at me and say, yeah, you just wait. As you keep getting older, that will happen too. Fair enough. As we age, we tend to realize that there's something within us that yearns for a body that doesn't have the aches and pains that we now all of a sudden have. And not only the physical reality of this, but the relational quotient as well. Have you ever groaned, if you will, over a relationship that is broken? Have you ever wished things were different with someone that you really cared about? You ever just have that, it's hard to put it into words, but, oh, I wish. Why does it have to be this way? You ever ask, how much longer? Are we there yet? This is what, this is what Paul is saying. Listen, hey, there's going to be a time when this may not be. And here's what he says, that we long for this for our adoption as sons of redemption. Of we look forward to the future. We look forward to the redemption of what is to come. And in light of that, man, we're looking right now and saying, this is not redemption. We're not fully adopted yet. We don't experience all that will be within the kingdom. And then he says in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? That's a good point. Let's, let's look at that verse for a minute. For in this hope we were saved. We were saved for the hope of a future. That's very important to see. In other words, if, you are, if you're buying something and you're sold on a product because it is promising whatever, you know, you buy a new car, it's going to promise you this, this, this or that. You buy, you know, whatever, new house, you buy new clothing, you buy whatever. There's an implicit promise within that to deliver what you're hoping for. And so what he's saying is, listen, if you, if you will, purchase salvation, it was, of course, purchased for us, but in salvation, there's a future hope that's given. Like, if you realize that you're saved... And what comes with that is a future hope of something even better than you can even imagine right now. And so, oh, you kind of yearn for what is to come. And so we're hoping for that. That's what he says in verse 24. In this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what he already has? And who hopes for that? Because I already have it. Like, I don't hope to someday own a blue shirt that's buttoned down. I mean, I'm currently wearing one. It's not something I hope for. I just have it. I don't, I, don't, I don't hope for that. Who hopes for what they already have? Just, we don't do that. But we do hope for what is yet to come. And then, and then, and then he gives this next verse that is so critical, it's so, so critical and so helpful for us, and yet can also kind of be a little bit confusing. Check it out, verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it, and what's that word? patiently. And this is our word. This is our crux word this morning. We wait for it patiently. This theme of patience is Advent material. This theme of patience is a theme that's been developed for centuries upon centuries upon centuries of people who have followed Jesus, have tried to follow him along the way, and this is where we find ourselves now, plugging into what is old and ancient, the concept of patience. Verse 25, again, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And 
you really have only a couple of options when it comes to waiting for something. You can give up hope that it's coming. You can wait for it with complaining, or you can wait for it with patience, depending on how valuable you think it is and how much you believe that it's actually coming. But if we hope for it, and here's what Paul's saying, if you're still going to hope for salvation, if you're still going to hope that someday there's going to be redemption of your body, if you're still going to hope for a future in the kingdom that is better, way better than you can even imagine, that even the world will no longer kind of be at odds with itself, where your body and your, your life will be fully complete, and you'll experience the fullness of joy that we just can't understand now. If you hope for that, you have two choices. Give up, walk away, because it seems too unrealistic. Or number two, wait for it with patience. Endure the difficulty that comes in this short period of life without complaining. I'm tempted to have you raise your hand, but I'm not going to because I don't know if any of us would raise our hand. But I would ask, if I could, how many of us are awesome at patience? <laughs> this is a difficulty that I think follows you and me around everywhere. Like I, I don't know of a scenario where you would not need a great dose of patience. Whether that's in school with classmates who are just, they don't get it. You know, you might be... Um, on a team or, you know, in a choral event with people who are just not getting it. Man, they're just kind of annoying, you know, just kind of, boy, boy, how, how long do they're going to be on the team? How long am I going to be in class with them? And when is the semester over, you know? At work, right, with coworkers who are just kind of, ooh, they're just not showing up on time. They're just not getting the job done. How long do I have to work with people like this? And my boss, I mean, they're great, but they are disconnected and just don't get it. And, you know, I, I, I get all that. My family, I mean, really, my family, should we start talking about family? Should we start talking about family? Okay? I mean, who doesn't need a great dose of patience with family? With in-laws and without laws, right? And with any laws that you have. I mean, who doesn't need a great dose of patience when dealing with family and all the dynamics that come with it? And who doesn't need a great dose of patience when dealing with the church, right? Can we have that conversation too? Dealing with, with people who are supposed to be, quote-unquote, godly and, you know, genuine and, quote-unquote, authentic. I mean, who doesn't need a tremendous dose of patience when we as sinners interact with each other and our sin hurts one another, right? I mean, who doesn't need a tremendous dose of patience to give room for all the junk in the ways that we hurt each other without even trying to hurt each other? Who doesn't need patience with their, their money? I mean, who, who doesn't need patience with the income that you have? I mean, I can't imagine, it's just very difficult for me to conceive of a, a sphere of life in which we don't need to get a good amount of patience. And therefore, this is a weakness for us. Okay? Therefore, this is a weakness for us. This is a weakness for you and for me. This is, this is not a strength. Let me put it that way. Even the people who are the most patient, if I could ask you how patient are you on a scale of 1 to 10, you're like, I'm a 9. All right, why aren't you a 10? Now, why aren't you a 15 on that scale? Like, super spiritual patient. You know, even the people that you know that are the most calm and level-headed, if you were to ask them, man, how are you so patient? Here's what I guarantee they would tell you. And you have no idea. You have no idea how impatient I really am. Because even the people who are the most patient are highly aware of the struggles they have with the lack of patience in their own life. Now, they may be further down the road than I am or you are or whatever, but they're still struggling with patience. It is a weakness. It is a weakness for all of us. And Paul knows that. 
And God knows that, which is why the text continues in verse 26. Look at verse 26. Because we're calling you to patience. Here's the thing, verse 26. In the same way, in other words, if you're thinking about this, let me kind of help you understand this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Like, I like the patience idea, but I don't know if I can do it. It's just too hard. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And this is where we start to go down a path that if you're a Christian, you should begin to get excited about. It's going to be difficult, but it's going to be great at the same time. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Now, remember the groaning image that I gave a few minutes ago of me kind of groaning out in the middle of a flu, not sure how to put my words. We've all had those moments, I think, haven't we? Those deep soul gut check moments. I mean, God, I don't know how to handle this breakup that I just had, I don't know how to handle the disappointment of somebody. I don't know how to handle this. And I'm just, uh, what words can I use? And here's what Paul says. The Spirit of God, if you choose patience and you don't give up, if in the middle of the suffering and the difficulty between what is and what should be, you don't give up and you wait and you trust, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And he intercedes for us with groans that cannot be expressed. He speaks in that way that we kind of want to speak. I don't know what words to put to the feelings that I have. Now here's where it gets very exciting in verse 27. And, now this verse is kind of confusing, so I'm going to go slow on it. Verse 27. And he who searches our hearts would be... God the Father, is pictured here, okay, God the Father, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit of God. Because, and here's why, here's why God knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, and look at this last phrase, and this is what's so critical for us, in accordance with God's will. There's a lot in that verse. Again, look at it. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Here's what this verse is saying. If in these moments of great difficulty where you are struggling with what you should do with whatever, and you're tempted to give up hope about the suffering and the difficulty that you are experiencing, if you choose patience, if you choose patience, you have cho- you've chosen to give the Spirit of God a chance to work in your heart. And if the Spirit of God has a chance to work in your heart, He will intercede for you to God the Father. He will go to the Father on your behalf with words that He can't, can't even be expressed. And God the Father, who knows the mind of the Spirit, will help you. Because the Spirit works according to God's will. And here's what I said at the beginning, that every Christian I've ever talked to has wanted to know this. What is God's will? How do I live my life according to the will of God? How do I live my life in a pleasing way before God? It's a good question. It's a hard question to answer. And here's an insight in Romans chapter 8 that ties directly in with your choice in the middle of suffering, in the middle of adversity, in the middle of boredom of life. 
In those times when you're asking, how much longer and are we there yet? Paul is writing, listen, you can either give up hope, or if you choose not to give up hope and choose patience, if you do that, the Spirit of God will intercede for you according to the will of God. And so you will be informed, you will be moved, your heart will receive the direction and instruction and nurturing and shaping of God the Father, all of this according to God's will. So if you want to know God's will and you want to do God's will, believe it or not, choosing patience in the middle of suffering and difficulty invites you into a space in your life where you are more likely, you are more likely to do the will of God simply because of your dependence and your leaning on him. And I don't know if you've ever seen that tie-in before, but this is the power and the difficulty of patience. Choosing to hope in the middle of suffering, and in that, your life becomes more lined up with the will of God because the Spirit speaks for you and instructs you in that. All right. Now, by way of a quick review this morning, here's what we're saying. Patience, number one, is not passivity. Patience is not passivity. If there are things happening around you that are, number one, dishonoring to God, number two, hurting other people, or number three, causing your own life to self-destruct, please do not put that in the category of patience. Put that in the category of bold action that you should take. Let your heart be moved, let your affections be stirred, let your passions be aroused to do something where you need to do something. Don't hide behind patience for inactivity. Don't hide behind patience for passivity. Don't hide behind patience on this. Get involved and do something. This is not what we're talking about with patience. Right? Patience is not passivity. Patience is the ability to endure difficulty without complaint. Patience is the ability to endure difficulty without complaint. At a global level, at a big picture level, it begins where this passage began by saying, Put your sufferings in perspective of the future glory that will be revealed. In 10,000 years, is it really going to matter who you worked for and how long you worked for? In 10,000 years, is it really going to matter if you miss the traffic light? In 10,000 years, is it really going to matter where you're going to have dinner at for Christmas? In 10,000, okay, all these things. Put it in perspective if you can. And choose to exercise the muscle of patience in the little things to make the muscle stronger for the bigger things. Now, let me say this about patience as well. When we choose patience, we choose a path toward God's will. It's as if patience is inviting you to come walk down the path and say, listen, if, you, if you'll choose patience in the middle of this, if you'll choose not to complain, if you'll choose to continue to hope, come with me. I can show you more of God's will. I will intercede for you before the Father according to God's will. And you will be more likely to walk your life in line with God's heart if you will choose patience. I have a question for you. This is a, a final question, and I want you to kind of imagine a future that could be for you. Okay? This final question tries to drive this a little bit further down for us, and here's the question. What could happen if we chose patience in just one significant circumstance? What could happen for you if you chose patience in just one significant circumstance in your life right now? If where you're used to being impatient, all of a sudden you're like, you know, 
How does this compare to the future glory that we will be revealed? In 10,000 years, is this really going to matter? I'm going to choose hope, and I'm not going to be the annoying kid in the back seat asking God and the people around me, how much longer, how much longer? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Because I'm going to choose to endure suffering and difficulty without complaint. What would it look like at work for you to all of a sudden change the tune and all of a sudden be intentionally patient with people that just bother you? (laughs) To not be cold to the person that you've been cold to and to be warm all of a sudden, to intentionally step into your environment at work and be the one who is a peacemaker, who is patient, who understands that there's suffering, if you will, there's difficulty, okay? This is hard. I can't control it. But I'm going to be patient through it. I'm going to love people through this. What would it look like to be patient in your marriage in a way that you haven't been yet to this point? I mean, you're getting along fine. You know, you're still living together under one roof. But, but really, what would it look like to be patient, deeply patient, long-suffering patient with your spouse? in a categorically different way. What would it look like for you with your children? Where they used to know, you know what? (laughs) If I want to get dad riled up, here's what I'll do. If I want to get mom annoyed, here's what I'll do. And then they do it. And you smile. They're like, it's the end of the world. You know, what's going on? Why didn't that bother mom or dad? Whoa, because in the middle of the difficulty, they're choosing patience. What would it look like at school for you? Can you imagine at school? You know at school how this works. School can be a rough and tough place. I mean, there are people who just get bullied off here and bullied off there and partitioned off into this corner and labeled as that and labeled as this and they don't get to hang out with the other people over here and the cool people are here and the not cool people there or whatever. You know how that works. What if you weren't like that? What if you you know what? I'm going to be patient with the people who are annoying. I'm going to be patient with the people that no one else likes. I'm going to be patient with those who are on the fringes. Because in the middle of suffering and difficulty, whatever it is, I'm going to learn to endure without difficulty. Can you imagine what it would be like? And the net impact that that would have on what the love of God looks like in your marriage, in your family, at work, at school. Can you imagine for a minute what that would look like? If you just in one, just in one, we can choose patience in everything. We can choose patience in driving, at work, at school, family, whatever. Listen, don't choose all of them. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. And I really mean this when I say just one. I just want you to focus on one. I really do. I really want you just to be like, you know what? I can't be patient with my spouse. That's not going to work. Can't do the kids. That's too. Nope. Not going to do work. I can do driving. I'm going to do driving. That's what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to be patient with driving. That's it. Good. That's a win. It is. I'm serious now, all right? I'm serious. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. In just one area, you don't even need to tackle them all. Don't, don't tackle them. Just tackle one. In what one circumstance in which you have by default not exercised patience? What if you did? And what if you chose to say, in light of eternity, (laughs) I'm going to choose not to complain about the temporary difficulty and temporary pain that I have. And when I am tempted to complain, and when that is deep lamenting stuff, I'm going to take that to God. I'm going to close the loop on trusting him. I'm going to tell him when I'm upset. I'm going to tell him when I'm angry. 
but I'm going to work that through to close the loop on trust. What would it look like for you just to take one area, really, really, just one area of your life right now? So, you know, for this week, just, I'm just going to give it a seven-day run, all right? Money-back guarantee on this one, all right? Can you imagine what that would do for you and what it would turn you into over the long term, slowly choosing to develop patience and reinforce hope of this Advent season, that the Savior of the world is still to come in his second coming. We await a future that is different than the present. And in the daily stuff, it is a gift to be able to exercise patience, to develop endurance for the long run. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us this morning as we process this concept of patience and the difficulty of it. Give us courage in one area to step into one thing, just one part of our lives, in which this week we can demonstrate and show an extra measure of patience that is deeply rooted in a Christian faith and a belief that there is a future far better than what we have right now. And that in the temporary difficulties that we experience, when we choose patience, we're choosing hope, and we're inviting the Spirit of God to work in our hearts in accordance to the will of God. So move in us, I pray. Give us courage to work that muscle that is hard to work. We will ask this for your glory and for our benefit, and we'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.